0: this week we are continuing a series that we started last week on the apostle paul and talking about his life and leading up to easter with this and paul's such a great character and his conversion we talked about last week was so awesome it's such a a fun cool story about this guy he was flawed he was so bad that there were people that didn't even want to pray for him right he was so far gone they're like. Don't even waste your prayers on a guy like that, it's horrible, and so they were moved beyond him. But he was a big religious leader. He was wanting to sit on the Supreme Court of the Jewish law, right, the Sanhedrin. He was well-educated, I mean, he was there. He was a hater of Christians, a killer of Christians, and it was gonna take a divine action, an act of God, to convert him. But doesn't it always? Whether it's as dramatic as his or not, it's always a divine action from God that changes any of us to become a follower of his. And we have to continue to rely on that. Now, the rest of us, it takes a while to trust. The disciples, it took a while before they trusted Paul and who he was and the work God had done in him. But God had done some amazing things in him. So this is what he did. He spent some time after his conversion. He spent some time with the apostles. He spent some time learning from them. He spent some time with God, praying, studying, growing in his faith. Then he began traveling and starting churches he would travel to a new town and he'd start a church and he'd leave that town and go to another town and start a church and he'd leave that town and go to another town and one of the places that paul went to was a town called corinth and corinth was a great city it was a major port city lots of temples that were there Um, temples to greek gods temples to roman gods um and big economic center a lot was going on in this place and paul went there specifically to be a missionary and to start a new church in this town. And he didn't just spend a couple days with them. He spent a year and a half. A year and a half in this community living with them, studying with them, helping them grow. And he started a brand new church in this town called Corinth. We can read about that in Acts chapter 18 is where you hear about this story. is how it got started. A lot of new believers, a lot of new followers started to follow Jesus because of Paul's work there. Well, Paul leaves Corinth. He goes to a new city. While he's there, he starts to hear rumors of what's going on back in Corinth. And so he decides to write them a letter to remember what he had taught them. Come on, guys, keep this up. Remember what we talked about. And in his letter, um, 1 Corinthians is where we get this. He's got five major topics that he hits on and walks through. Divisions within the believers. Divisions. sex. Uh, It's a big topic in first Corinthians Um, outside of marriage. What does that look like? You shouldn't do that food what you eat what you shouldn't eat Um, drink is a part of that the gatherings They're their church services. He's talking about how they do church Um, The resurrection of Jesus was a big topic for him and he gets to the end of first Corinthians and the the cap on the end the big point that he's trying to make with all of them is that the gospel is not just a list of rules The gospel is an announcement about who Jesus is and how he can transform your life for the better. It always comes back to Jesus and Paul is always writing about Jesus, teaching others about Jesus. Well, this letter must have offended somebody or many people you know you've done this before have you ever written an email that you probably shouldn't have sent (laughs) but you did anyway and they misinterpreted it or you wrote it with an edge Um, it happened here first corinthians some people read it and they're like oh they didn't like what paul had to say so he had to go visit them and when he went and visited them and they sat down face to face they figured it out they worked it out like oh that's what you mean now now i understand yeah we get this so as he leaves the second time he writes them another letter. And 2 Corinthians um, is a letter that Paul writes back to them just confirming his love for them, encouraging them. You can do this, um, trust in Jesus, this is a good thing. Trust in what we have been studying and learning. Uh, I love you guys. You know, He's encouraging them through his positive um, love for them and what's gonna happen with them. So he gets to the end of this letter. This is where we're going. If you have your Bibles, I want you to um, get them open. If you have your um, phones, get your Bible app open. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're gonna land today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul here is addressing some people that he calls super apostles. Super apostles. Now, they're not superheroes. In fact, he's actually being sarcastic, I think, as he writes this and talks about them. There's no such thing as super apostles. But yet, in their minds, they were. There was a group of people that came in, and they picked up where Paul left off, but they were in it for themselves. They were promoting themselves. They were promoting their own ministry, their own religion. They were bad-mouthing Paul and the leadership that he gave and the teaching that he gave. And Paul says, look, they might be professional, motivational speakers. They might be professional Business guys—they might be professional at running a business meeting or creating an organization and running an organization—but they're not teaching the same stuff. And if you want to compare, if you want to compare what's going on here, I'll take the challenge on. Compare them to me. I, Paul was a Jewish expert. He—he he was a Pharisee. He had most of the Old Testament memorized in his teenage years. He knew what he was talking about. He had spent time with the risen Jesus. After Jesus died and came back from the dead, Paul got to spend some time with him. that He had actually sacrificed for the advancement of the kingdom. Paul's saying, if you want to play this game of comparison, bring him on. I can take him out with this. And then he jumps into this and he starts this um, 12th chapter off this way. I'm going to read the first six verses, follow along here. It says, I must go on boasting. He really doesn't want to, but here's why he says it this way. Though there is nothing that I can gain by it, I'll go on to the visions and the revelations of the Lord. I know a man, he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Now, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I really don't know, but God does. He says in verse three, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I'm really not sure, but God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of that man, I will boast. Or, sorry, on behalf of that man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except for my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Now this guy that Paul is writing about, this this other guy 14 years ago had this stuff happen to him. I don't know if you caught it or not. It's him. It's himself. He's talking in third person as he writes this saying, you want, to, you want to get into you know, a comparison match between these other super apostles and me? Um, that guy, yeah, he can take him out. He can boast. He's got a lot of history. He's got a lot of stuff that he can talk about. But it's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. I'm not going to use him to boast. In fact, um, or I could, could use him to boast. I'm not. I'm going to talk about me. He says it this way, right? Here's the big concept. Be weary of the person who brags about their walk with God. Be weary of the person who brags about their faith and how much God is doing in them. Be weary of that person. I saw this quote this week. I thought it was a good one. It fit. Watch out for people who are always bragging about who they are. A lion will never have to tell you it's a lion, right? Christianity is not a contest. We're not in it to show other people how good I am, how much I can do. We're not in it to say, hey, I can read the Bible faster than you can, I can get through it, or my prayers are better than yours, or my quiet time is so amazing. I'm not in it to prove what I can do in my Christian faith. Now, yes, your walk should be seen by what you do with your faith. People should see the evidence of that just coming out in your life. You shouldn't have to brag about it. They should just be able to see it making a difference in who you are. Because I guarantee, I know this for a fact, there are going to be days or weeks or months. The scary part is there will be years where your Christian faith, your Christian walk is probably not brag worthy. You might not want anyone to know what's going on with your faith. Therefore, it might be more about your weaknesses than it is about your strengths. So this is how Paul continues on this. Um, He writes more about this. Let's look at verse seven on this one. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So to, to, to keep him humble, something was given to him. He, he had won an award, right? A thorn in his flesh. What, what kind of awards do you win? I heard about um, the, the late comedian Jack Benny. Some, some of you are like, yeah, I know Jack Benny. I remember him. Some of you are like, no idea who you're talking about. Comedian from many years ago, he won an award one time. He stood up to receive his award and he says, thank you, but I really don't deserve this. But I have arthritis and I didn't deserve that either. <laughs> so what what kind of awards do you get what kind of things come your way for paul it was a thorn in the flesh he said what kind of thorn what was his pain what did he suffer through we don't know he doesn't tell us what it is he just says that he has a thorn in his flesh and it keeps him humble It keeps him from pride. It keeps him from being arrogant on what happened. So there's some theories out there, theories about what the thorn is. And many people, really smart people, have written about this and have tried to guess what that thorn is. Some say that it is physical, and I think that's a pretty good um, guess because he actually says a thorn in my flesh, meaning it was physical. Now, what was that exactly? Some say that it might have been his eyesight, he didn't have very good eyesight. Now, if you remember from his conversion we talked about it last week, there was a blinding light. He was actually blinded for three days. And they think, maybe, maybe he never got his eyesight back completely. He had a hard time seeing and a hard time reading. We even see evidence that he had to write really large when he was writing letters, or somebody else would write for him. And it may be because he couldn't see very well. I don't know. Maybe it's from some of the beatings that he endured, some of the floggings, Some of the stonings that that happened with him. Maybe it was emotional, guilt, stress, persecution. Maybe it was spiritual. He was thinking back on what he did before his conversion to all the Christians. Maybe it was was that that was with him. Somebody once recommended that he was married and his wife was a nag. But I'm not going there, all right? I'm not going to mention that. Forget I even don't write that one down. Um, No quotes from me on that one. Um, We don't know. We don't know what his, the thorn in his side was. To me, that's a good thing. It's a good thing we don't know. Otherwise, we might think that Paul is bragging about his weakness. Therefore, he's wanting sympathy, that is self-pity. Oh, poor me. And we would feel sorry for Paul if we knew what his thorn was. That's a good thing we don't know. Or we might compare our weaknesses to his weaknesses. And if we compare, if I compare my weaknesses to his weaknesses and they're not the same, I might walk away saying, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know what I've been through. How can he help me? How can what he says relieve me? Because he doesn't know what I've gone through. I think it's a good thing that we don't know what his thorn was. Otherwise, we might sit in judgment of Paul. And if we sit in judgment of him and say, oh, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he said that. If he did that or said, I can't read Romans, <laughs> I don't want to listen to a guy who wrote the book of Romans because of what he did. And if we set in judgment, we might not get some good training, some good education, some good, some good theology from what he did right and what he did do. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, he writes about this concept, this idea in a book. Um, the title of the book is The Wounded Healer. I think it's a great title. It's a good book. And it's this concept that whoever you're following as your spiritual leader, whether it be, you know, just a spiritual giant to you, somebody who has helped you get through a time period, or a Sunday school teacher, um, a youth group leader, a, a pastor in a church, um, let me put myself in this situation. I think I think for you, it's good for you to know that did I sin, right? It's good for you to know that I'm not perfect. I don't have this whole thing figured out. It's good for you to know that I've gone through some valleys. I've had some tough times in my life. You want to know that, but you probably don't want to know the details. You don't want to know everything, that, all the details of what I've been through or what I think or what I do, but you like to know that it's happened because you want to follow somebody that's at least been through a valley or two and has made it to the other side, right? I've I've conquered some of those things. I have had some, some success through some of those temptations, through some of those valleys. And there's new ones to come all the time. And we're working through them. You wanna know that there's been a wounded healer going the path in front of you. Somebody who has had some weaknesses, had some valleys, and has made it through. So the question then becomes, then then where does it come from? And this one's tough, where does that thorn come from? Paul's pretty blunt, he says it's a messenger from Satan. Straight up, it comes straight from Satan. Notice that God does not give him the thorn in his side. It doesn't come from God. God didn't give you your pain or your problems. Notice that Paul even prayed for God to take it away. Three times he prayed, take it away. To me, that's begging. He's like begging God to take this from him. And notice that God doesn't take it away from him. It, he keeps it. It's a pain that he lives with. And now, sometimes we can turn that around. I know we've all been here, and we've tried to get mad at God for this. God, why did you do this? And um, whether it's you or you, you hijack pain from other people. We, we can hijack pain from others and say, look at what you've done to them. And what about the world around us? We can hijack everybody's pain and say, God, why did you do this? Be careful though not to hijack somebody else's pain and pray for them for it just to go away because it might be that pain that they're going through that actually brings them to God. And if, they've never, if they never have the opportunity to walk through that pain, they may never have the opportunity to walk to God. Otherwise they think they can do it themselves and they can fix it themselves. And sometimes it's the pain that we walk through that builds a relationship with a God that loves us and cares for us. And sometimes we have to walk through that. Not that God gives it to us, but he uses it to draw us closer to him. And don't do this one either. Don't try the self-help route. Don't go down that route. And don't listen to this, um, these verses from Paul or from me as prosperity preaching, prosperity teaching. I was reading some quotes this week from a famous prosperity pastor. Maybe you've read his books, or you've listened to him preach before. One of his quotes, he says, you are a winner. You were created to be successful, to accomplish your goals, to leave your mark on this generation. There is greatness within you. Uh, Do all you can do to make your dreams come true, he says. Or, don't just accept whatever comes your way. You were born to win. You were born for greatness. You were created to be a champion in life. Let's compare those quotes to what Jesus said to Paul. Verse nine, as we pick this up. But he said to me, and this is Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. This is after he said, no, I won't. No, I won't take your pain away. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul writes, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me ask a question to you this morning. And you can shake your heads, you can raise your hand, whatever it is. Does everybody, does everybody have a problem right now that you're working on? A, an issue in life that you're going through that you're like, I'm struggling with this one. I'm going through, I don't see many heads shaking. Okay, you've, you, you, everybody's got something. If you don't, okay, if you don't, if you're like, no, no, right now I'm good. Everything's, everything's good in life. Come after the service, come up here and meet with me. I'm going to pray for you that a problem comes into your life, all right? Your heads are gonna be shaking now. No, dude, I got it, I got it, I figured it out. I know what my problem is, Um, I know what I'm working on. (laughs) The reason because if you're doing it all on your own and you got this thing figured out, you don't need God. But when you walk through something like this and God says no, I didn't give that to you, but I'm gonna walk with you through this is when you can really grow. I like this quote, Oswald Chambers, he said it this way, huge waves that would frighten an ordinary swimmer produce a tremendous thrill for the surfer who has ridden them. Hmm. In times in life where the waves seem big and huge, and they might not be that big, but you just might be drowning. Someone else might be riding that wave. It depends on what you do with it. Do you let that wave drown you, or do you jump on top and say, let's, let's ride this thing out, let's keep going? The things we try to avoid or fight against in life, tribulation and suffering and persecution, are the very things that can produce joy in us. Not in spite of them, but in the midst of them, can we do it? So we, we all like the mountaintop experience, don't we? We like to be there. That's a good thing. But I want to show you this picture. I want you to look at this picture for just a minute. Look at this. The mountaintop. Man, we love to go there. We love to go visit there. We love to stand on top of the mountain. We feel like we're on top of the world. We can see forever. The mountaintop experience is a good experience, but no one lives there. No No one builds a home up there and stays there. And notice, as you come back down off of the mountain, what happens. That's where life is. That's where you see the vegetation. That's where you see growth happening. Growth happens down in the valleys. Growth doesn't happen up on the mountaintop. It happens down in life and that's where we grow at and that's how God can grow in us in that. Um, I want want to share this letter. I read, um, read through this letter this week and I guess it's a good example of what happens when we walk through some tough times in life. It's a letter written by a little boy back to his parents from camp he's at boy scout camp he's there with his troop um, at boy scout camp all summer long and he writes this letter back home this is how the letter goes he says dear mom and dad we're having a great time here at camp ketchikoff our scout master is making us all write to our parents in case you heard about the flood on tv and you were worried we're all okay only one of our tents and two sleeping bags got washed away Luckily, none of us were drowned because we were all up on the mountain looking for Charlie when it happened. Oh, yes, please call Charlie's mother and tell her he's okay. He can't write because of the cast. I got to write in one of those search and rescue jeeps. It was really neat, and we never would have found him in the dark um, if it hadn't been for all the lightning. Scoutmaster, man, he got mad at Charlie for going on a hike alone and without telling anyone. Uh, Charlie said he did tell him. But it was during the fire, so you probably didn't hear him. Do you know that if you put gasoline on a fire, the gas will blow up? That wet wood still didn't burn, but one of our tents did, and and so did some of our clothes. And Johnny's going to look kind of weird until his hair grows back. We'll be home. We will be home on Saturday. That is if Scoutmaster gets his car fixed. He says it wasn't his fault about the wreck. The brakes worked fine when we left. Um, He said he likes driving an old car and sometimes you have to expect it to break down. That's probably why he doesn't have insurance on it. But we think it's a neat car and he doesn't care if it gets dirty and hot and sometimes it gets hot inside he lets us ride on the top and it really gets hot when there's 10 people stuck inside the car. He said he's a really neat guy though. Don't worry, he's a good driver. In fact, he's been teaching Travis how to drive. He only lets him drive on the mountain roads because there's not much traffic. All we ever see up there are logging trucks. He said, this morning, all the guys were diving off the rocks and swimming out in the lake, but Scoutmaster wouldn't let me swim because I don't know how to swim. And Charlie was afraid he would sink because of his cast. So he let us take the canoe all the way across the lake. He didn't even care that we had forgotten the life jackets back home. Guess what we've all passed our first aid merit badges when David dove into the lake and cut his arm We got to see how a tourniquet works. Also Raymond and I threw up Scoutmaster said it was probably just the um, Food poisoning we got from the leftover chicken. Well, I have to go now We're all going to town to mail our letters and buy some bullets. Don't worry about anything. We're fine P.S. How long has it been since I had a tetanus shot? How do you grow in life, right? You go through some tough times, and you learn from that. So here's the lessons I learned in this. Pain happens, I'm sorry, pain happens. It happens to all of us. Sometimes it seems worse to others than it might to you. But from a logical viewpoint, it doesn't make sense even, especially a guy like Paul. Wouldn't God, why wouldn't God protect his own children that love him and want to follow him? Why wouldn't God just not let anything bad ever happen to people that are following God, especially those that are serving for him, right? Sunday school teachers and um, preachers, right? How can can we get a free ride on this? I I want to say it this way, hey, be weary of the pastor that has an easy life. Um, Something may not add up with that. Paul certainly didn't get a free pass, and I'm not even close to what Paul went through. Multiple imprisonments and beatings and floggings and life-threatening situations and stonings and shipwrecks, and he was stranded at sea for several days. Oftentimes he wasn't without enough food or enough clothing or enough friends or enough sleep. Chased by bandits and other religious leaders, he battled temptation and anxiety. And now, a thorn in his flesh, How bad? He says it was straight from hell. It was a messenger from Satan to torment him. And maybe Paul tried his best to explain to God, God, if you could just take this away, I could start more churches, I could raise more money, I could do good things. You've probably had that talk with God. Come on, God, let me win the lottery. You know how much I could do with it, right? God, take this pain away from me. I could be a better servant for you. And God says, no, I'm gonna use that issue in your life To make you grow and to expand my good news to everyone. Which means I think pain has a purpose. I think whatever you're walking through, there's a purpose in that. Now this one is very touchy theologically. Um, To go here theologically, this is a tough one to say. It's a very fine line and we're in danger of causing someone more pain if this is said wrong. So I want you to hear me clearly and if it comes out wrong, come and talk to me later. I never want to explain someone else's pain as the work of God in their life. God does not bring us that. It's not God's fault. And it's not wise or biblical to tell someone else that God won't let them handle more than they can bear. It was actually Paul that wrote that. He wrote that in the first letter to the Corinth church. But when he wrote that, he was talking about temptation, not about suffering or pain in their life. He said, God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But your pain that you're going through, he might not take it away, but he'll walk with you through it. Know this as well, a second part of this, pain is, pain is not a direct effect of your sin. I know a lot of people that sin and they're really, really good at it and they're living a pretty good life. And I know a lot of people that don't sin very much, and yet it seems that pain just keeps piling on them. It's not a consequence to your sin. Now, listen, understand this. When you sin, there are consequences to that sin. If you sin and you do something wrong, there's gonna be consequences to that that you're gonna to have to suffer through and walk through. But pain is not always a direct result of your sin. So we can't say that, oh, yeah, I know why you're going through that. You must have sinned. No, theologically, that's not correct. Instead, I think we need to look at it as a good self-study. When pain does come into my life, when I am walking through a valley, when something bad does happen in my life, then what do I do? How do I react to it? How do I live this out? How do I keep trusting in a great and powerful God so that his power is shown? And I believe this, and pain has power. Because of that, pain has power. In this particular passage, Paul says it this way, that Jesus told him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul described it like this. He says, then when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not that he is strong. It's that God is strong in him. Jesus is strong. You see, if I was strong, I would take charge. If I was strong, I would fight the battle myself. If I was strong, I might use my own resources. If I was strong, I might take the credit when we come out on the other side. So there's a message that's being taught here, and it's a message of grace. It's a message of God. See, I believe that there is something worse than sickness or pain in this life, and that is sin, and it's the sin of pride which Paul is trying to learn about here. So get this, before you leave today, I want you to understand this. The healthy person who is rebelling against God is in worse shape than the suffering person who is submitting to God. Let me say it again. The healthy person who is rebelling and rejecting God is in worse shape than the person who is suffering, but yet they're submitting to God. The pain that we go through in this life is only momentary, it's short, compared to eternal life with God. And I'd so much rather you walk through a little bit of pain while you're here than to have a pain-free life here and never come to a knowledge of God. That's pride. And it's a great paradox, it's an amazing paradox in this passage that we just read. The evidence, I believe, of a sovereign God that God would use a proud person, the proudest of all beings like Satan, and the thorn that he gave to Paul in his flesh to teach Paul a lesson about pride. What a God. The deepest need that we have and our weaknesses and our adversity is not a quick relief. It's not to regain some relief or to get rid of this pain. It's, it's to find confidence in a God who will walk through this pain with us. The grace and the power of His Son. So notice what's not said. When you read this again, when you look through this, when you think about this, notice what's not said. When you are weak, then I will make you strong. He doesn't say it that way. We've got to understand it. When you are sick, I'm going to make you better. When you are hurting, I'll make all the pain go away. When you're confused, I'll bring clarity. When you can't do it, he doesn't say, dig deeper, try harder. There's a champion inside of you. You can do it. It actually says, when you're weak, then you are strong, meaning I am strong in you and speaking of the power of Christ in you. When you are sick, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're hurting, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're confused, when you lose a job, when your house is a mess, when your marriage fails, my grace is sufficient for you. When your kids rebel, run away, don't follow. When you don't feel like praying anymore and you feel like, I, I, I'm not sure I trust this anymore. When someone lies about you, even, even to you. <coughs> when you lose someone that's close to you and you don't know what you're going to do. When you you feel like you just can't do it any longer, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And it doesn't mean you just give up on life and you say, I'm done then, I'm just done, I'm not gonna do anything, I'm not gonna try anymore. I'm not preaching against trying harder and working at it. What I'm saying is I think we need to change the focus. We change the focus at that point. It's not about me and my strengths. I changed the focus to him and what he's made a promise to. And his promise is that when I'm weak, he'll be strong. And he'll lead me through it. There will be days, there will be days as followers of Jesus that you won't understand how. You'll say, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how we're going to get through. I don't know how we're going to make this work. But I also know those same days, you might not know how, but you'll know why. And the why comes from a deep faith and a trust that there is a God that loves you and cares about you. And even though you're walking through the valley, He knows you're there, and He is the wounded healer that's going to keep walking with you. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm grateful for your Son. I'm grateful for what He has done for us, that He, that he became that sacrifice for us, God, I pray for everyone that's in here, no matter what we're working through, no matter what's going on in our lives, that we don't discount the pain and just want to get over it, but yet that we trust in you and we continue to walk through it. God, guide us in that. Help us not to brag about how awesome we are, but yet to boast about how awesome you are. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.